Welcome to FinTech Fridays. Oh yeah! A weekly podcast brought to you by the National Crowdfunding and FinTech Association of Canada and Partners. Covering all things FinTech, blockchain, P2P, AI, and alternative finance. Hello and welcome to NCFA Canada summer edition of FinTech Fridays podcast. NCFA is a leading community-based fintech and crowdfunding association driven to advance innovation finance sectors. This is Anna Nimura. I am your today's podcast host. Our podcast introduces remarkable people from the fintech community and showcases industry trends and developments. You can always refer to the past episodes by visiting our website to connect with our incredible guests and their stories. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast. We are thrilled to welcome our guest, David Lukacs of Liquid Avatar Technologies, which is a high quality digital image-based personal passport containing public and securely managed private information that users can choose to share when they want and include only the information they want simply by sharing the image. David, great to have you here to discuss such, especially nowadays, engaging topic. Thank you, Anna. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you here once again. Um, Let's talk a bit about um, digital identity. Um, It's a little bit controversial topic, and uh, I'm sure that our listeners would like to know a little bit more about it. Um, What is a digital identity and, and how it is different from what we have right now? Well, it, it's a good question. And I, I don't know that I would qualify it as controversial, but I would try and qualify, qualify it as innovative. Um, digital identity is really taking the, the paper or, or electronic data that you have now that, that represents yourself. And it could be um, as something as a paper-based or card-based, could be something like your driver's license. And electronic could be username and password. And taking those to a digital state where, um, you know, we're using blockchain technology to ensure that you have absolute control over its use and, and functionality. Okay. Um, well, recently during the last few months, we've been talking, um, like media was talking about cyber attacks. There were some issues. So um, when we have everything digitally, um, that possibly can represent some danger for us that our data can be um, can be stolen. So, what is the level of security pertaining to our data stored digitally? Well, again, um, I mentioned something a minute ago, and that's a, that. That again is a really good question. The 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 key behind security is is how does someone access the data? And, and as we found, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, organizations were able to find on the dark web. Uh, CRA username and passwords. So what we've done uh, is is installed biometrics. So for you to for you to manage and control your digital identity and your digital credentials or verifiable credentials, we use um, techniques that that require you to identify yourself biometrically. And where we start with that is with facial recognition. Now, one would argue, well, you know, we could use a fingerprint, we could use a retina, we could use all these different tools, but um, when we're verifying someone's identity, the easiest thing to start with is something that is, is easily recognizable and, and there's very few 
um, pieces of of identity that you have that have your fingerprint or you know your retina or anything else, but there is identity documentation that you have that has your picture on it. So when we start with the know the customer process, know your customer process or KYC, um, and identifying an individual so that they can store, manage, and control digital identity, we start with the basics and 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 uh, with a piece of identity that 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 will have an image on them that we can cross reference and then we store a digital map of your face well um we know that kyc it's rather a, a complicated process and this is this is the issue a lot of companies are dealing with and individuals every single time you're going somewhere you have to show your id it's it's troublesome you have to pull like bunch of papers to prove your identity so what are the exact users benefits from holding digital id versus traditional traditional one well, first of all, it's um, there, there's a lot of convenience. Um, you know, we use our, our mobile phone for everything. So um, uh, it means we don't have to carry everything everywhere. Now, I want to be clear about this. We don't store data on, on the phone. We're, we're cloud-based. And um, so at the end of the day, uh, we, you know, everything is in the cloud. So your phone is sort of the, the gateway. So if your phone is lost, stolen, or compromised, um, we're not going to end up uh, you know, uh, having data compromised because your phone was lost or stolen. But what are the benefits to a user is very simple, that, that they have control over the data in a way that they've never had control before. Let me use an example for, let's say, a young person who walks in and wants to buy something that is age-restricted. They generally have to show a piece of identity that has their uh, image on it and their name and all, you know, their, usually their address and usually, you know, is a driver's license. Um, and that, that, that's too much information to show for um, a verification of age where a digital credential would pass back and forth between the individual and the, the organization wishing to verify that. And the user could only provide at that time the fact that they were over, for example, in the province of Ontario, they were 19 or over. And so it really makes data more controllable by the individual. We don't have to give out pieces of information that are not relevant to a transaction. It also makes it easier for an organization to ensure that the people that they are engaging with are who they say they were. And we can take that, which I'm sure you'll ask questions about, but from a business standpoint, it means I'm only dealing with real people now. I'm not dealing with fake people, you know, multiple personalities or multiple usernames and, um, you know, bots. So there's a lot of value in, in the equation and, and a lot of convenience. And it would mean that I don't have to remember um, any of my passwords anymore. So I don't know how many passwords you have, but I have a lot of passwords and remembering them or using a system to control them can be dangerous. If I could just use my biometrics in conjunction with a verifiable credential, it would make it so much simpler to get into, for argument's sake, my bank account. Yes. So is, is this technology going to make our world much more organized? I think I think organized is one. It's going to make it more convenient. It's going to be easier and faster. Um, and uh, if if used properly by all parties, it will make it safer as well. Um, you know, there are many regulations around the world, starting in Europe, with something called GDPR, yes. General Data Protection Regulation, 
that 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 has changed the way that we deal with data, um, even around the world, because many countries have adopted the basic principles and, and are enhancing those principles of GDPR. California's done that. Canada's looking at it with the with the um, the updates in in Pepita. So identity is changing, and we've now got to download that that um, requirement to manage that data to the consumer or the user. So where we're stepping in is we're helping the consumer by providing them tools and services that allow them to better manage and control that identity. But we don't own it, we don't rent it, we don't sell it. It's all under the control of the user. Yes, well, there's one thing certain in, in life and it has been proved through, you know, throughout the centuries that the only constant is change. So naturally we're changing uh, how we're dealing with our um, ID as well and how we use it. So how exactly we can, we can manage our digital ID? Well, like a, uh, like a wallet for, for currency or for other pieces of identity. And I'll, I'll, I'm going to make it, try and make it very easy. If, if I ask you to go into, um, you know, uh, your wallet or uh, for some people, a satchel or a purse, whatever the case may be, you're going to have um, ID. You're likely going to have um, some cash or change on you, whatever it is. You're going to have different things that you already control. And, and so the process is, is effectively the same. Instead of having it in, in a conventional wallet, you know, you might have a wallet for your identity and you might have a wallet for, for uh, your money or, or change or whatever the case may be, you're also going to have a wallet for your identity. And that'll be an electronic wallet in which you can control various aspects of, of, of your data. Now, some of us are already used to doing that with things like Apple Pay and Google Pay. But those are two things. One, those are edge-based, so they sit on, on a phone. And two, there is a third party that controls them. Um, Apple or Google has the right to tell you what can go in those, what can't go in them, and they have the right to manage a lot of the data that goes, that, that's being dealt with in there. In, in, in our system, you manage and control all of it. We only provide the tools for you to do that. So it is completely self-sovereign identity. It is independent and independently managed. And so you will have a wallet which your employer might give you a credential, um, similar to the card that you might use to enter a facility, but it, now it'll be a digital credential that sits in a wallet that is accessible by your phone. It might be your driver's license. It might be your student identity. It might be um, a bus pass or transport pass. There are so many different things that we use, uh, again, username and passwords, that this will be a wallet which you control and we, we, we provide biometric control that you control with your face and other aspects that allow you to manage all your identity in a very simple and easy manner. Mm -hmm. Well, that's actually, that's, that's fantastic. That's definitely very easy to use and, and very convenient. So what is, the, what is the implementation process? Well, right now, um, users, and, 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 and I want to stress that there are three parties in this, in this um, uh, process. There is a holder or someone who, as an individual, holds all their credentials. There is a, uh, an, an author or issuer, an organization that issues those credentials. And, and so like a, a bank or an employer or a government. And then there are what we call verifiers. And verifiers are those that want to make sure that the information you're providing or for, to give you, uh, to verify your identity, your access or your qualifications are, are correct. 
And, and I, I'll talk about something for a moment as I go through the implementation process, but we call those three um, uh, organizations, the holder, the issuer, and the verifier, part of what we call a trust triangle. And a very interesting but simple to understand use case of the trust triangle uh, process that is not digital identity, but one that we all deal with on a regular basis is if I walked into a grocery store and I filled my basket um, with goods and I walked to, walked to the checkout, I'd likely use in most cases debit or credit. And when I swipe, tap or insert my card, I'm now creating a relationship as a holder of that card with the supermarket, which is trying to verify my card and my bank, which is the issuer of my card. So we're used to doing this every day. And once I start that process, the verifier asks if I want to continue with it. The bank verifies it and then you know, says, yep, uh, the, David has the money or David has the credit in which to proceed with this transaction, but hold on a second. We just want to make sure it's David. So David, can you enter your pin? So that we do all of that. And then I get my groceries and I walk out of the store and the transaction is completed and it's gone. Um, digital identity works the same way, except the challenge might be that I'm asked to prove with my face that I am who I say I am. So it's a very similar process to what we're using today. So the implementation process follows that. So a government or like the Ontario government is, is proposing that by the end of the year, they issue some type of digital identity, BC's working on it and so are, Quebec's already started with QR codes on COVID uh, credentials. Um, there's lots of different organizations that are starting to issue digital credentials. And you'll, the implementation process will be that the issuer will issue a credential, the holder will hold that credential in their wallet, and they will go to locations where they need to be verified. And we're developing um, onboarding process, not just for the consumer, but both for the, the author, those organizations that want to author credentials, so a SaaS model for business, and we're working also on a verification process that on a SaaS model as well, um, or software as a service, where verifiers will be able to easily verify a digital um, credential. But it is still fairly early days. And if you think about an example, as Tesla builds more and more cars, they're putting in more and more charging stations. So you're, the infrastructure is going to take on a life of its own and build very quickly because you know, up to now, digital identity or identity on the internet has been a very, very large challenge. Right, since you actually mentioned the timing, so um, that it's still developing and um, it's still growing for the further implementation. So how far away we are from um, general worldwide implementation of digital um, identification? Well, Australia is already issuing digital birth certificates. So, you know, we think of ourselves in North America in a bit of a bubble but we are not leaving this. Um, for those that are old enough to remember, you know, for years you could buy uh, a can of uh, pop or soda, depending on how you phrase it, in a vending machine using your phone in Europe and in Asia, but you couldn't do it in North America. So, so everybody's trying to adapt quite quickly because if you think about the value proposition to business, and the value proposition to business is, is let's look at the credit card and the identity fraud industry. That globally is a $30 billion industry. In North America alone, it's about $12 billion. Now I can use my card online. I could give my daughter my card and she could use it online. So, so it doesn't take a lot of um, sophistication to use someone else's card. And, and so uh, you know, there's very little information you need to know about the person and, and, and uh, the card to, to be able to use it. But what if I said to you, every time you used a card over a certain limit, even in e-commerce, 
you know, the, the organization, the issuer would ping you to ensure with your face that this is your card. I mean, the value proposition to business is, is so immense. It's so immense. But until recently, the technology didn't exist. So we're seeing um, everywhere, especially, you know, we, we talk about, you know, um, uh, COVID credentials. And uh, there was a, uh, a survey that just came out by Travel Week that showed that a significant, I think it was well over 80% of respondents agreed that if necessary, willingly and if necessary, um, they would easily use a, a, a vaccination passport. So one of, the, one of the primary opportunities for digital identity is creating digital identity in conjunction with test results or vaccine results so that everybody can easily travel again. So there, there, is, this, there, there is this movement very quickly to get this on board and, and work with it so we can get industry and, and lives back to normal. So when we're talking about the businesses and when we're talking about the advantages for the businesses, often it pertains to, to, to making money. So mm -hmm. how those businesses, the implementation of the digital uh, ID uh, process um, is going to be beneficial for those, for those companies when we're talking about um, mon monetary uh, advantages. And, I, and, and that's, that is a great question. So is it, is it revenue driven? Is it cost savings driven? Is it bottom line? So I'm going to focus on the bottom line. So, so you know, how do businesses make more money? So um, um, I think we would agree that if, if people could freely travel again, the travel industry would, would benefit from that in all facets. The hospitality industry would benefit. Um, uh, the entertainment industry would benefit. For, them, for those organizations to make more money, they're going to have to implement controls that are going to ensure that people are, are safe to um, um, enter a facility. And, and to do so, we have a system that is very, very nominal costing, both it's zero cost for the consumer. We never charge a consumer for any of our technology. Um, our, 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 our business partners help defer that 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 cost and, and it becomes a revenue generator for us. But on the business side, we've got processes that allow even small restaurants and organizations to eventually be able to implement this so that they can get back to making more money. The world has changed and we have to change with it. So we're all about getting people back to normal and, and, and kickstarting the economy so that people can make money from the services that they currently offer or did offer. Right, so we're talking about um mostly right now using for mobility and and uh, oper operability as well that you know the uh, the businesses can operate and also individuals can simply use it for um for easy transition and going to to places and they have a proof of vaccination they have a proof of the id and um the entire process which right now seems to be very complicated mm -hmm. eases up so that's what it is well, that's one example. I think that's the easy example for people to embrace. But I think for the for 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 the payment industry, it is a massive advantage because, um, or the 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 networks because you know fraud would diminish. So it's about mm -hmm. it's about ident. We look at three different things. It's about identity, access, and qualifications. So for identity, where identity is required, let's say um, in a, you know let's take a cannabis retailer. Cannabis retailers under strict guidelines to make sure that they sell only to people who are, 
are um, above age, that have a certain qualification, an age qualification. So their, their business can be in jeopardy if they don't follow those rules. And they're only as strong as their weakest link. Um, so what happens when a clerk decides, yeah, I'll just sell it anyways, and an inspector's there and they get caught, they could lose the rights to do business. But if it was required in the transaction process that you verify age and use digital identity, that would be another solution to, to, to keep businesses on the rail. But um, I think of it this way. If you think about identity, access, and qualification, and a very simple example is a doctor enters a, a, a hospital to check in. They provide their digital credential for their identity, verifies that they are who they say they are. They, that their access qualification is already there, that they have privileges in that hospital, and their qualification is up to date, and they can perform surgery in that hospital. So there's lots of different opportunities within a number of different sectors, but I, I think that the, 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 because it's self-sovereign and because it's blockchain-based and because it's trusted, uh, or trustless, I'm sorry, not trusted, but trustless, the, um, the, the, this will implement very quickly um, because it hasn't existed before and it makes our entire world um, safer and more efficient. Right, so there's definitely additional value creation. So we are addressing also legal issues here, administration issues, academic issues, so practically everything can be, mm -hmm. um, any aspect of our life can be in our um, digital uh, identity and it can be addressed all the time. But that at the same time, is it not too much information uh, accumulated in, in one spot? Actually, it's completely decentralized. I, I would argue the contrary. So right now, corporations know everything about us because they own all the data. They own all the identity information. You know, I walk in somewhere and they want all my information about me before I do something. They may only need a small sliver of my information and they might only need it temporarily to, create, to complete a transaction. So I think it's, it's completely the opposite. It, this, the, the, all these systems are designed to ensure that me as the owner of my data, I am in control of that. I am in control of all my information. I only provide certain information to complete a transaction, not to pass data, but to complete a transaction. So, so a good example of that would be the, the grocery store never keeps my pin. They don't know my pin, but I need to provide that piece of information to complete the transaction. So what if that pin for that particular transaction was an age verification or um, an access verification that, that I am entitled to be able to come in here. It doesn't mean that, that, a, that a facility needs to keep that information. They've just verified that that information is true. So I would, I would argue vehemently that this, this provides the, the ecosystem with less data and less control over me and more control in my hands. So you mentioned that there are biometrics and facial recognition used. Mm -hmm um for using digital uh identification mm -hmm. is it and then we have to share it actually with businesses when we're doing certain transactions is it does it not represent the danger that we're sharing that information with them or is the system working in the way that we still holding this completely and we just using this for the confirmation with other companies getting that confirmation without getting our biometrics, other, our facial recognition information, and any other data. It's, it's the latter. It's, it's, it's the fact that 
they never get that information. It is, it is okay. again, like a pin. It's the challenge. It's the answer to the challenge. So if, if, you know, if, if we don't add um, to a verification process, a challenge, and, and it could be an authenticator. It could be, it doesn't have to be biometrics. There are other opportunities as well. One time passwords, there's, there's lots of different situations, but we don't add, add that. We're not adding an additional level of security. So again, when you, when you type in your pin, unless somebody is standing in front of you looking at it or copying it, nobody gets your pin. So facial recognition is, 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 and the, and the map, not your picture, but the map behind facial recognition is a way to create a verification, just like a fingerprint that you use or a thumbprint you use on a phone. We won't go into phone technology, but, but um, you know, we're not, we're not storing that for the purposes, that map for the purposes of, of identification, we're storing, uh, using it for the purposes of, of verification. Right, so this is actually going to be a lot of changes in regards in, in the business um, environment as well, because the business will, businesses will have to embrace consumers' rights to manage and control the identity, their personal information. So how businesses can embrace, can embrace it? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to a story, and, and it's quite a few years ago, so it's almost 25 years ago. It's probably 23 or 24. So my, my team in the late 90s, uh, I led a team that actually worked with uh, uh, the data providers, Visa, MasterCard, and, and Canadian banks to develop the way that people type in their credit card online. And, and it didn't exist before that. Um, somebody had to invent it. And I'd like to say, um, I think our team was the ones that did it and uh, for Canada. So before that, no one ever shopped online. So people were telling me left, right, and center, no one is ever going to shop online. I, I don't think we would say the same thing today. Um, you know, we weren't going to register for courses online. I talked to the University of Toronto, which is my alma mater in 2008, 2009 about doing digital lectures online. And they basically said, no one is ever going to do digital lectures online. So we, we, as you said, the only constant is change. And, and so I think this is a process that creates value. It gets people um, back to work, back to play, back to travel. So I think everybody wants to find the fastest route to that. And because it is a, um, I'm built on open standards and and there, and and it, it it's going to be effectively affordable to everyone. I mean, we're we're working on situations with our um, complementers in this field. What if someone doesn't have digital identity? How are they going to be able to do things that those with identi digital identity? So inclusion. But frankly, um, the internet was not um, fast enough. It wasn't technologically developed enough, and the technology around it to ensure that identity was a process. So we sort of threw that out the way. Now that it's coming full force, I think um, we're going to have to reckon our ability to deal with it very quickly. Yes. You brought actually a very good issue because in FinTech in general, um, each, there, there is this division between banked and unbanked. And also that seems to me that it's important also for digital uh, identity as well. Uh, when we're talking about a global aspect to it, there are still regions in the world which have troubles with accessing 
uh, internet. However, most of people nowadays have phones. So if we can implement digital ID, then most likely that can be also used in those different regions in the world and it can expand to different geographical regions, which right now are limited when it comes to uh, access to, to bank or some businesses or some other industries um, as well. I, I agree. If you look at, um, we, if we look at the internet today, um, we look at services that are applicable to 100% of the, or addressable to 100% of the online market. And the first one we would say is, is search. I think everyone online uses search in one form or another. You, you, you pick the search engine that you like and you, you, you generally at one point in time during the day are looking for something. We all use electronic communications. We're doing that right now. We're doing a podcast, you know, over, over electronic means over the internet. You know, we all use a browser. I don't think anyone doesn't use a browser. There's very few that might not, um, but I think everyone uses browsers. So I think those three services are addressable to 100% of the market. Uh, our belief, is, and obviously everyone has to do their own due diligence in anything they're doing, but our belief is that digital identity is addressable to 100% of the market because everyone online is a person and young, old will eventually have digital identity. And we're even putting in um, um, safeguards. Uh, we're building new technologies that will allow parents to be able to create, you know, data guardianship for their, uh, for their children and in the event of a challenge or problem or, or um, situation that, that an individual wants to be able to manage, they can, they can have a seconder or assign somebody who could, who could get into their digital identity in the event that there was an issue or unfortunately a demise. Um, because we don't want necessarily our, our um, social media profiles living on forever. And uh, we do want to be able to get into someone, our, our bank accounts, if someone to get into our bank accounts, if necessary. But again, they would have to qualify. They would have to provide biometrics. There's a whole process, but, and have their own digital identity to be able to cross-reference. But at the end of the day, I think this is, this is an inclusive process that covers not only North America, which it covers you know, the online population represents about 90% of people in North America, but it, in cover, it covers over 5 billion people worldwide. Right. So in consideration that all this information is going to be stored on our uh, mobiles, at least for now. No, um, no, it's not stored on your mobile. It's, oh, stored it's, in the oh, it's the cloud. That's right. But we use, yeah. let me rephrase it. We are using our mobiles to access the cloud and then provide our information. Sure. Will, we, will we need eventually some different equipment to do it or... Um, like for the expansion and, you know, like to facilitate also uh, easier usability or will phone always represent that tool we need to access our um, digital ID? Well, um, uh, let me be cl clear. It's any, any um, uh, uh, internet enabled device that has uh, a camera on it. So it would be a laptop, a tablet, uh, a mobile phone. And, mm -hmm. and so as, as form factors and technologies um, um, become more pervasive, the uh, the way to access your information will become um, more engaging as well. So, you know, we've heard stories of virtual reality. We're already working with augmented reality. So, there's you know, as as technology um, uh, becomes more intriguing, faster, better, uh, digital identity will keep up with that because it's the credential 
behind who you are, not what's used to prove who you are. Right. So definitely um, in consideration of what has happened in 2020, we are looking for different solutions um, mm -hmm. for, and, uh, for urgent issues which we have at hand and definitely uh, digital uh, ID uh, provides a venue for us to explore and, and get back on track, as you said, back to, uh, back to normal and uh, start our lives uh, once again uh, from a different perspective. But how you can see this develop and expand in the future because we are addressing current issues but then we have five ten years from now so in your opinion how this can expound and 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 help us in in our lives in, help us uh, when it comes to to businesses what is your point of view about it um well obviously i'm i'm a big proponent for it um uh, and and we're you know we're already looking you know, down the road at where virtual reality comes in play, the metaverse comes in play, um, how this will open up new doors for um, the medical industry, the educational industry, the information services, e-commerce, uh, gaming, whether it's esports or other types of games. Um, uh, so we, you know, travel, there, there, there are so many avenues for us to explore. What we're really focused on today is creating baseline products that a user can expand with. So based on the technology that's available today, we're building our solutions to manage um, uh, the infrastructure that is, is, is available today. But we know that, that, that access to credentials will change. So we're not talking about changing necessarily the credential. Um, so a driver's license has existed for I want to say probably a hundred years. Its form may have changed slightly, might have gone from paper to plastic and then now to electronic and digital, but the process of having a driver's license has never changed. So we have to start with the baseline credentials and then work around how they will be implemented, presented, or how they will be issued or authored and verified and how the user will or the holder will store them. So we're, again, we go back to that triangle between the holder, the issuer, and the verifier. And we're really focused on providing tools and services for each one of those parties and expanding the opportunities as their infrastructure expands. Right. So we're not changing the, the actual process. We're just like changing how we presenting that, right? So as you mentioned with, with the driver's license, um, the document stays as it was, it represents the same value and, and the point of identification is ex except how it is being presented, that it's going to be in a much more convenient and available for us and the businesses way. I, I, agreed, 100% agreed. Um, you know, we, Businesses and individuals are used to, to change. Again, you know, um, a few short years ago, you couldn't take courses online. Now, not only can you take courses online, but you can take exams online. Um, when we took our company public last year in 2020, uh, we, I, I've done it a number of times uh, with other uh, organizations in the past. You'd have to go into a lawyer's office and you'd have to sign everything and they'd lay out all these folders. We did everything remotely using DocuSign. So, so now that is a, a recognized way of, of signing documentation. 
So they're, the, the, we're changing. What we have to do is, is um, uh, work with that change to make it better for us. And this is the really hard part. We're not only going to see changes in, in the way we do things, but we're going to see changes in responsibility. I'm going to be responsible for some of my data. And, and, and there are other companies out there that, that are giving users value propositions to partner with them for them to sell the data. Um, and the user to get money from the use of the data. So there's lots of new industries being born out of this and a lot of new companies. And we believe um, based on our, our, our positioning and our um, uh, you know, acumen and, and our team, which is a phenomenal team, that, that we hopefully um, you know, have a leadership position in this industry. So that digital id is one thing the entire infrastructure about it what it can be done with it in the future and and how it can go uh, towards different industries and possibilities um possibly we don't even know about right now we cannot like uh pinpoint it at the moment it's just like truly exponential uh, i agree there are many opportunities again not just for the the holder of the credentials but for the authorization or the authoring of and issuing of credentials and certainly within the verification of credentials i think it will make you know it will make it easier for us to do things and more advantageous for us to engage in certain pieces of or certain opportunities without having to give away all our rights or all our data yes so at this moment since we are rushing to have everything implemented right now and um, start with the digital identification. Uh, what is the, the most urging issue that this industry needs to resolve to have this truly um, pushed forward and implemented on the, on the global scale? Uh, travel. I, I think the first one will be travel and travel is driven by health and health records. So I think, um, I think the travel industry is probably uh, the hospitality industry as well. So I won't, I, I, you know, again, I could go on and on and on on this, but if I take the travel and hospitality industry, I think they can benefit the most initially from, from uh, digital identity uh, to ensure that users um, are, are safe to um, enter a facility, safe to travel, um, uh, give comfort to others. So it's not just about, my own safety, my own um, uh, value, but it's the people around me. If, if I'm confident that the people on, in, in a bus or on a plane are, are safe to be there, then it'll increase my opportunity to want to do those things or a restaurant or a public event. So it's really about um, um, creating uh, safety awareness. And I think the travel and the hospitality industry can be leaders in this, in this space. So um, hopefully the current um, world health issues will go away, but at the same time, we hope for the digital ID to say, because we have a full control as individuals. It's easy to use, has really a lot of possibilities mm -hmm. and, uh, and definitely eases up our lives. Like particularly we are like living in the very busy world right now and we want to move and be, and be mobile. So digital ID actually gives us um, an access to travel, to do financial things and, and many other aspects of life, just all under one umbrella. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's really important that, that we don't look at this as, 
as a, a, a detriment to our ability to do things, but, uh, you know, helps us open up um, new frontiers and, and gives us and in, as individuals control over the data that has been for many years controlled by others. So it, it, it's an empowerment strategy and it's, and it's one that um, uh, hopefully um, uh, consumers and again, issuers and, and verifiers will embrace. And we're seeing that every day. I mean, every day we're seeing, you know, COVID passports or vaccination passports, and we're seeing new opportunities for people to ditch the password or do this or do that. And so it's already underway. Um, so, I, you know, sort of the, the train has left the station. It's just, we make, we've got to make sure everybody's on board. Or the train is leaving the station. We've got to make sure everybody's on board would be a better way of phrasing. Yes. Um, you use the word empowerment. And and I and I really, um, and I really like that word that it just gives us additional possibilities and empower us as users as well. And on that positive note, of the empowering note, I would like to thank you for joining us for today's podcast. I truly appreciate you sharing all the information and giving us details how it works how it can be used and uh, whatever questions people might have we will be more than happy to hear and also as a company you will be able to provide also the information they can visit also uh, liquid avatar uh, website correct yeah it's www.liquidavatartechnologies.com and they can fill out a contact sheet or you know they can reach out to me directly um, and uh, I'd be happy to, uh, to speak to anybody who has any uh, inquiries. So let's keep our fingers crossed that everything goes well, that everything is being implemented fast enough for us to start our lives as we had before and enjoy them, but at the same time with the new perspectives. Absolutely. And it was a real pleasure being here today, Anna. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap. On behalf of the Fintech Fridays podcast, we would like to thank David Lukacs of Liquid Avatar Technologies for joining us on the show and you for tuning in. Please feel free to share your thoughts with us. We always welcome your feedback. Once again, I'm inviting you to visit NCFA website to check out some of the fantastic past episodes. We look forward to having you next Friday for another episode of Fintech Fridays. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Fintech Fridays, brought to you by NCFA and Partners. Tune in weekly for the latest Fintech Friday podcast by subscribing to this channel. The National Crowdfunding and Fintech Association of Canada is a nonprofit actively engaged with social and investment fintech sectors around the globe and provides education, research, industry stewardship, services, and networking opportunities to thousands of members and subscribers. For more information, please visit ncfacanada.org. Oh, yeah! 